We talk about subsistence, but let's face it. If I have to choose between coffee and subsistence, coffee wins. Welcome to Longleaf Breeze, beginners learning subsistence farming using three simple principles, approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's got to be fun while we're doing it. And we don't make allness statements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thanks, Adrian. And thank you for joining us here on our, uh, this is program number 002. Our focus today will be on the first of our three principles, which is we are approaching but we know we will never reach subsistence. We put this together a long time ago, and when we first started talking about it, the, the expression I used for it is we're approaching subsistence asymptotically. But that quickly became cumbersome. Yes, and I kept having to look up the word asymptotically. So we decided, okay, we'll call it what it is. We are approaching subsistence, but we know we will never reach it. So, for example, what that means is that we're working to minimize the dollars we spend off the farm. And our hope, which we will measure, is that we will spend less, off, less money off the farm each year. But, of course, we know that there are certain crops that we cannot grow in south-central Alabama. Among those are coffee beans, right? And what else? Um, we've well, we, talked about dark chocolate. Right. Probably some spices. For example. Use. Oh, nutmeg. I'm just guessing. <laughs> yeah. And we've talked about the possibility of growing tea, which is another important um, issue for us. I'm, right. I'm a big tea drinker. Amanda's a, you're, you're a big coffee drinker. And so I like wine, but I wouldn't be able to grow the type of grape that uh, produces the the type of wine I prefer. We could probably do muscadine wine, blueberry wine that could be palatable enough, but uh, a nice smooth Chardonnay would probably not be possible. And the other killer issue for us is that we have two children who live in California right now. We're campaigning for both of them to get back closer to Alabama where our farm is and where they grew up. But the fact is that right now, when we want to see them, that very often means we need to travel out there. That's right. That takes money. Yes. Uh, but in the, in the meantime, we're working, and within that context, we're working to spend less and less off the farm each year. So that means, of course, at a minimum, we want to uh, raise the vegetables we need. We want to raise whatever meat we need. And one of the things we've talked about is that we're probably going to end up eating less meat than we have in the past. That's right. And possibly uh, increase our seafood. It's not, it would be pond food. Our pond food. <laughs> pond food <laughs> consumption. Because we hope that someday, maybe this is naive at this point, if you could see our pond, you would understand why. But I would like someday to be able to stock it with tilapia or bass or some sort of uh, fish that we wouldn't mind eating on a regular basis. And I should point out, out of context here, that... Um, if you hear something in the background, you may hear the noises of the lake. We are recording this program from our lake place on Lake Martin, which is in central Alabama. Um, can I take a minute and talk about Absolutely. Uh, because it does have a little bit of um, impact on the way we're planning the farm. The lake place is 30 minutes from the farm. 
And part of that is by design. We were attracted to this particular parcel of land that we're using for the farm, uh, at least in part because it was so close to the lake place, which means, among other things, that we don't have to devote quite so much time and energy on the farm to figuring out what to do for recreation. Um, there, we, we know people who have said, oh, we need to be able to put in a pool, for example. We've never been tempted to do that because right. we know when we need to jump in the water, we can head on up to the lake place and enjoy that. So it has been nice. We've been here for the last few days with our daughter, Adrian and her boyfriend, Kenny, and have had a, a very nice time here. It's coming to an end now. We're heading back toward Birmingham. Um, but um, we certainly have enjoyed this time to be here, and there's no nicer time to be at the lake than October. But don't tell everybody that. Then everybody will be at the lake in That's October. Right. Part of what makes it so nice is that you're not here. <laughs> and we joke about that. Obviously, we would welcome all of you. But we've also discovered that about the Gulf Coast, and we were down at, uh, as we mentioned in one of our other podcasts, at Point Clear. Those are also very nice places to visit in the fall of the year. Yes, they are. Unfortunately, they're also our garden is a nice place for the deer to visit this time of year. And yes. uh, I remember our telling you last week that we would be looking forward to sharing a watermelon with our daughter Kenny, uh, with our daughter Adrian and Kenny. And uh, the big disappointment is that didn't happen. In fact, I think. It was it was only about four days after we made that bold statement that we plan to eat one of those watermelons that we went back to the garden and all of the larger watermelons were gone. Not a sign left other than a little bit of deer poop with watermelon seeds in it. That's it. That was all that was left of those watermelons. We that did, was so frustrating. And we did kind of, we found a couple of uh, smaller ones that we hope we can protect for the future. They're about the size of a, a large grapefruit at this point. So we'll and see. I noticed one of them you found, or maybe it was Kenny who found it. I found it. Okay. Was inside one of the concrete blocks of the raised bed. So maybe the deer won't be able to get to it. We all hope. Right. Right. But you should talk about uh, the fact that they trampled the African blue basil, right? That we had told you about before. The African blue basil that's done such a great job attracting po fall pollinators uh, was trampled and had basically collapsed. But we've managed to tie it back up now, and we think it will be okay. Uh, it certainly has been damaged, but not dramatically so. All right. And uh, they ate some of the cantaloupe that we so desperately wanted to eat ourselves. <laughs> and they had already basically denuded all of the sweet potatoes. What they did is they, they leave the little stems, but they eat all the leaves, which we think probably has damaged the potatoes themselves. But we've just, we just decided we'd wait a little while longer, and right before the first frost, we'll go ahead and dig up those potatoes and see what we've got. If there are any left, if that's there are any, If there's anything there... We'll harvest it at that time. But, so yeah. it won't surprise you that that makes our deer fence that we told you about last week an even more pressing priority. We've now ordered it. I have placed the order with McGregor Fence Company in Massachusetts, and we're hoping to receive the components of the fence within a week or so. You might talk a little bit about uh, the the way trees are incorporated into the design of the fence, how we had to go around and figure out which trees we could 
hooked the fencing to? And this was a learning experience for me to realize that one of the reasons that the people who understand deer fence tell you to use trees rather than all posts is not just to save money and not just for stability, but using trees keeps the fence from being less visible to the deer, helps keep them from being able to see where it stops and where the sky starts. And if the deer can't see the top of the fence, they're less able to jump over it. So it's all about trying to camouflage it, not only from other people, but from the deer themselves. So we've tried to maximize the number of trees we use. We ended up using about 16 trees on Veg Hill, and we're going to augment that with about 18 posts. So uh, the deer fence is going to run about 500 feet, and um, I'm a little embarrassed to say how much it's going to cost, so I guess I won't, but it's a whole <laughs> lot. But we think in the long run it will be worth it because as we're able to produce more and more of our own food, we just realize that we must protect it from deer, and, and the rabbits will be kept out as well, right? We're that told. is certainly so, our hope, um, that this will keep out not only the deer, but the rabbits as well. So it's, it's, it's an investment that's a one-time deal for us, and we hope we'll yield uh, a, a lot more pleasurable trip to the garden every time. It's sure better. <laughs> <laughs> because not only are we paying this money, but it also is going to take a lot of our time to get it installed. Right, right. It's going to be a big, big job to do it. And you will probably be hearing more from us about it because this will continue for several weeks, I think. Speaking of what's uh, things that can go on for several weeks, the grass that we've planted on the hillside to prevent washing seems to be doing really well. We say that goes on for several weeks because we have a, a yet another hillside above that one that we need to also address in a similar way. But hasn't it been fun? To see oh, yes. that grass taking root and digging in. Yes, we do have a couple of breaches where it's eroded a little bit, but basically that hillside that we have watched develop big ruts every time we had a storm appears to be um, anchored now. It, it appears to be held in place. And what that means, of course, is that if it's held in place, that means we can start uh, working on the driveway. Right, right. Which, and, and which was getting all kinds of silt, and now will not be. We hope. So that's great news. Uh, we were just we're just real pleased to see the way that grass is digging in. Another development this week was the uh, another yet another fire in our stove, in our wooden stove, and we hope that uh, that is going to provide enough warmth during the season. We certainly have every reason to believe that in a six hundred square foot apartment it will. But it brought up the the subject of how much cover do you need to have on your bed? Not as much as we thought. <laughs> and we've had this conversation, I guess, about, uh, we've seen uh, descriptions of a duvet, which is a cover with a heavy quilt inside it, I guess. Is that well, the right way you can get it? different weights. I know when we went to Ikea, there were the different, and of course, through L.L. Bean, you can, you can order different you all, many of you know about this and probably could tell us something about it. But we thought we might need to get sort of a mid-weight duvet that would kind of get us through the winter time. Right. And we had visions of, oh, it's going to be so cold at night, we're going to need to have something really, really thick and heavy. 
Well, that works fine if it's going to stay really, really cold all night long, and then you're going to get up and you're going to have really, really warm the moment you get out of bed. But that's not reality. And what we're realizing is the way the wood stove works, maybe we build a wood a big fire when we go to bed and it burns down overnight so by you know 1:30 or 2 o'clock it's burned down and the the apartment's cold again and then I get up and put a log or two on it and it revs it back up and it gets warm again and then it gets cool again by 4:30 or 5 and then I get up and build it up again so the the, the apartment temperature is going to be fluctuating um, fairly dramatically o- over each night. So we've sort of changed our strategy from one big cover to a series of layers, which w- dovetails nicely with what you wanted to do. Right. I wanted, since it is a one-room dwelling, um, and when someone walks in to see us, they're going to see our bed the minute they walk in. Uh, there will no, be no back areas except maybe the closet where I can hide things <laughs> and the shop, the storage room. But I wanted to have a kind of a country looking quilt. And I'm willing to wait until I find just the right quilt for the look that we want. So now it looks, yay, so yay I get to have my quilt. I'm happy about that. <laughs> so I am too. I, I think it's going to make sense and that will give you a nice country look. That, that you've been talking about for right. the apartment. That's right. And um, that probably brings up that subject that you and I have been talking about, talking about, and haven't brought up. Um, you're a little embarrassed to talk about this. I'm not. Of course, almost nothing embarrasses me. But um, And that is, which side of the bed do we sleep on? And the reason I thought it was worthwhile talking about is that it fits in with this whole idea of subsistence and energy efficiency, that we make the most of which side of the bed is better for each of you, uh, each of us. I am by nature more warm-natured. I'm cold-natured. So that means that if there is a cold side of the bed and a cold side of the room, we probably want me on it, and, a, and the warm side we want you to be on. Well, in the past, we've always had this habit driven by me of my sleeping on the right side of the bed and you're sleeping on the left. And the reason we've done that is because of the way my nose works. If I sleep on my right side, I can breathe freely. If I sleep on my left, often it clogs up. Uh, but that we've pretty much calculated that the right side of the bed, where I normally would be sleeping, is going to be the warm side of the bed, and the left side is going to be the cool side. So now we're talking seriously about uh, changing our 35-year-long sleeping habit right. and having me sleep on the left. I know I'm up to the task because I can sleep almost anywhere. You can even sleep through my snoring. That's right. So, hey, we're, we have no worries here. <laughs> but I am looking forward to getting into the apartment, but it is kind of going slowly. Yes, it is. It uh, We had originally said that we would be moving in sometime during the summer of 2009, and here it is, the fall of 2009, and we still are not yet calling Longleaf Breeze home. But we have had some developments recently that give us both reason for encouragement. Right, and I think you should talk about those because you know a little bit more about all the technical 
um, goings on and, and working with the electrician, et cetera. Than well, I, do. I don't know whether you want to get into all the technical goings on, but briefly, we have a standby generator, propane generator, um, growing out of our assumption that the utility grid will be less robust and be prone to failure more often in the future than it is now. So we designed that in from the beginning, and we, for the first time yesterday, were able to fire up the standby generator and confirm that it is working and ready to take over if there's a power failure. So that was a, a, a nice relief. And I guess the other piece of it is because it's so um, endemic to our utility system, everything is, you know, it, it's right in the flow. There are some things that our electrician, Scott McGill, couldn't finish doing until we were able to confirm that the generator was ready to fire up. So now that's done, and he can finish up some of his other tasks that he was waiting on for the generator. So um, it's more than just knowing the generator is there. It's also allowing him to see the light at the end of his tunnel. And we also, for the first time yesterday, were able to fire up our tankless water heater. Yes, and that's such a relief because I definitely want a nice hot shower in the mornings when I get up. Don't you, though? And we've talked in the past that the world thinks that we must be waiting on a toilet. and We now have a toilet that we can flush. But in reality, what I've been waiting on and what makes the difference for me is the ability to take a shower. So now we can take a shower there, and um, it's going to feel a lot more like home now. And the lighting is, is nice. That works out well. We're almost finished with that. Now uh, all of the the bulbs are in, and everything is, is you know, you can switch it on and off. The only thing that we're waiting for now is a couple of decorative um, rings that need to be attached, and then we'll be finished with that. And I guess Scott the electrician really wants to get finished, and that always is a good sign. And I don't blame him. So now we have people, our um, plumber who needs to finish some tasks. That's right. We've got be... some punch list items for our plumber to finish up and a few for our electrician to finish up, and we've got a fellow, uh, Scott Rupert, who is helping us with some framing and finished carpentry and that sort of thing, and um, he's got a few punch list items. And at that point, we will be finished with the construction phase. And I use the term locus of residence, uh, and, the, and I use that to indicate how vague all of this is. Our locus of residence right now is Birmingham. That really is home. That's where I keep my office going and so forth. Now I think we're about to change our locus of residence to... Longleaf Breeze. Right. So we will keep you posted about when that happens. Uh, one other thing, we need to be thinking ahead to the month of November, which is going to be upon us very soon, because that is when we need to plant our very first orchard residence, some fruit trees, some nut trees, etc. We have a little bit of time left. Why don't you talk just a little bit about what we're hoping to accomplish with the orchard? Well, one of the first phases is that I would like to plant blueberry bushes. And those we picture, some of them going in between the house and the, the barn. The house is not there yet, of course, but where we hope the house will be. Um, and also maybe scatter some amongst the other uh, fruit trees. But we're certainly thinking about pears, apples, we hope, um, plums, figs. 
What am I leaving out in terms of fruit? I guess maybe pomegranates. Oh, yes. That would be good, too. Um, persimmons? Sure. We have a wild persimmon tree up on Veg Hill, but the persimmons that it is producing are very small, and I don't know that we would ever really no, enjoy probably eating not. them. probably not. Um, and certainly then in terms of nut trees, pecans, that's our go-to nut. We think those should grow pretty well. And those will be growing not on the orchard, but somewhere else, right? Over on the green field, which is on the west side of our property, on the other side of the creek. Which is the only real cultivation we're talking about doing over... Uh, uh, that's away from the, the house and the barn, the pecan trees, and we're hoping to intercrop those pecans with some wheat. Um, that's right. a, that's a, a subject for another day. We've not been able to confirm that will work yet, but we hope it will. And so as we're planning that, we will enjoy it, and we will certainly enjoy keeping you posted about our progress as the week in the weeks to come. And we will look forward to visiting with you next week. You've been listening to Longleaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden. We'd love to hear from you. You can call the farm at 334-625-8682. Send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com. Or you can send us honest-to-goodness mail at P.O. Box 780-446, Tallahassee, Alabama 36078. To browse our archive, to learn more about the farm and about Lee and Amanda, and to talk with other listeners, visit us at longleafbreeze.com. Thanks for listening. See you next week.